I see your Buffy mug. I see it. Still jealous of that bureau. I do love that bureau. I don't use it as nicely as I should. I saw a massive one of those green top desks someone was selling on Facebook for like 50 quid. I have oh, nowhere God, to put it, place. but I was still very tempted. I don't, I don't like clutter and things, but I do like big, gorgeous pieces of furniture. We were meant to live in massive houses, Joanna. We re- I was looking at ridiculous houses that are currently for sale for no good reason today. And there's a million pound house in Colchester that's like an old tower, Victorian tower. Well, I think one thing we've learned from all of this is we need to get rich and have a big enough house to quarantine all the people we like in. Yes. When it happens again. I would quite like to live in a massive house in a sort of vague commune type thing, but where we all have our own little kitchens. Yeah, or even like one of those rambling country estates that everyone has a little cottage in. Perfect. Um, My problem is that I want to live on a massive rambling country estate, but also be five minutes walk away from the town centre and the pub. Yes, and also class guilt. Oh, yeah, that. Well, if it's a commune, it's not so bad. Mm. If we eat the rich inhabitants... Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> then that's correct. Yes, that does See, make us a... class traitors, just cannibals. What's I love worse? the whole love the whole eat the rich thing. Except I don't actually want to eat a human person, and I'm not even the vegetarian. Out. Oh, I'm assuming if we have a large commune, we're going to have like bees and goats. Bees, and... not chickens. Bees, bees and goats. Um. Yeah. So 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 so. Things so. we've achieved. Things we've achieved. Yeah. This comes from. This comes from the. Well, basically, on Twitter, some asshole, well, lots of assholes, let's be honest, have been tweeting stuff like, like this one, who I won't mention who he is, because there are so many identical ones, there's no point putting this dude on blast. In the past four weeks, I've... Wait, do I have, like, a bro voice for this? Do you think he's American? No, let's not try that. Just bro voice, but not American bro voice. Lost 11 pounds, 2.5% body fat, increased revenue 23%. Home gym build out, what? office renovation, installed blinds slash flooring, and flooring, I hope he means, read six books, completed my new book outline, secured seven killer podcast guests, appeared on 12 podcasts, hit 100,000 YouTube subscribers, you, down pointing emoji, which to me always looks vaguely threatening, like those people who point guns weirdly, like, mm. Mm. <laughs> so yeah um and then joanne harris bless her everlasting soul god i love um, her so much retweeted it with oh so much retweeted it with some beautiful literature references do you want to read that one because you've got a nicer reading voice so joanne harris tweeted in the last four weeks i've seen attack ships on fire off the shoulder of orion sipped champagne from the skulls of my enemies visited 19 alternate realities danced naked in the light of twin moons raged raged against the dying of the light straddled the world like a colossus t perfect which once again a little uh, cratchit-esque with all the grandeur prose and then t yes Attack ships off the shoulder of Orion's fr- Orion is from Blade Runner. Anyway, so what have you done with your... Uh, I wrote a list. You did? Oh, good. did. I wrote a proper list. I'm very proud of this list. So in the last... In, in, I'm going to do this in the form of the tweet. In the last four weeks, I've mm-hmm. broken from the Chantry, formed an inquisition and closed up a breach in the sky, grown my nails out, uh, slain ten high dragons, 
gave life to a beautiful sourdough starter named Susan, oh, got betrayed and reconciled with my beardy grey warden lover, <laughs> cried about having too many ornaments, defeated Corypheus and his dragon, shaved my head, got betrayed by an egg and lost my arm in the process, and watched and all betrayal. of the- <laughs> And then watched all of the extended Lord of the Rings in one day. Hmm. I'm finding it hard to pick out which are real. Some of those achievements may in fact involve Dragon Age Inquisition, which I've now completed, so I'm restarting oh, I see. from the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So my, my things were planted the word fuck in negative space amongst watercoloured leaves. Beautiful. Nice. So yeah, I've been learning to watercolour. That's a thing. Frowned at a sheep. Brackets. She started it. <laughs> Greeted magpies. Split my knuckles on water. Matched my father coffee for coffee. Dreamt vividly and forgotten nearly all of them. Marvellous. Pretty much what I've achieved. Um... I'm going to say it's a pretty solid four weeks. Yeah, I mean, my painting's got much better. I'm going to repaint your chicken now. I've got better at it. Um, I'm excited. If you cook another chicken, please take more photos for me. I will do. Oh, I might do a roast chicken. Oh, oh, I, I might roast whatever I can buy in Waitrose on a Saturday. Cool, cool. <sighs> which I have taken to dressing up for the supermarket, which is good fun. Yeah, I thought about that today, but I only got in at 10 to 2 as it was, so it's just as well I didn't. Because yeah, I was like, that's fair. yeah, what's in my cupboard that I haven't gotten out in a while for fun? My prom dress. Uh, if I remember on Sunday, I might do that. Is the distance but make it fashion thing still the thing? I haven't really been joining in with it, but I just did Saturday for fun. Cool. But I, I saw might that. Still... That was good. Yeah. I did you still... get looks? I did. I got looks. I got compliments. Ooh. My big next week plan is reorganizing my bookshelves because they're a bit full. I've got the massive to-read pile that hasn't been shelved yet because I'm not shelving them until I've read them. And then I've got an entire massive shelf full of Waitrose magazines that I'm going to pull off and go through and pull out all the ingredients, all the recipes I actually want and put them in a folder. Wow. And get rid of the magazines, which has been something I've been meaning to do forever. Yes, that sounds like something I would mean to do forever than give up and just throw the magazines away, to be honest. I feel like this is this is what the lockdown time is for. If I can't come up with any decent writing, then I'll at least organise my waitress magazines. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> God, I'm middle class. I'm so yeah. middle class. Sourdough and waitress magazines. Uh, when we finish... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, when we finish today, remind me I need to go and add the raising agent to my bread. Okay, I probably won't remember to remind you. but let No, me but re- now I've said that, I might okay. remember. I'm just going to write it at the end of this notes. Amazing. Agent. Okay. 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 Should we make a podcast? Yes. Let's make a podcast. Right. Hello and welcome to The Truth Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen Young. And I'm Francine Carroll. And today is the final part of our discussion of Sorcery, the fifth Discworld novel. Uh, quick note on spoilers this is a spoiler light podcast uh, so obviously major spoilers for the book we're on sorcery but we will try and avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld books and we're saving any and all discussion of the final book the shepherd's crown until we get there so you dear listener can come on the journey with us yeah um and that goes no matter how excited we get about the fact we're doing weird sisters next time i'm so excited about weird sisters <laughs> Oh, it's no you, it's the witches and it's thespian throughout. 
Oh, you know I'm going to get really Shakespearean for this, right? I might oh, try yes. and record the entire podcast in iambic pentameter. I'm not going to do that. If you don't turn out in like a doublet for the next episode, I'm going to be severely disappointed. I mean, we're still in lockdown, so I'm going to have to work off what's in my wardrobe. So yeah, no, I can probably do that. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think later today we're expecting an announcement that the lockdown's going to go on for another three weeks, which is probably sensible. Anyway, yeah, uh, so we're... Follow up. Uh, follow up, follow up, follow up, yes. We had homework from last week. And we week, did it, we? we both did it, we did our homework. I'm so proud this of us. Like so the first time ever. <laughs> so the homework was to write a poem in the style of, what is it, a brazon? Blazon. Blazon. Yeah, so basically uh, attaching metaphor to the various body parts of one's object of desire. Yeah, I didn't really stick to the brief that... Cool, swiftly, cool. to be honest. <laughs> Do you want to go first? Okay, sure. Yeah, because I did. Um, <laughs> you know me, I like a structured, structured uh, poem. Yes. So mine's quite disc themed. Kept up with the. Excellent. <laughs> Your lips are dancers that enthrall, treacherously magnetized. Your hair, Coombe Valley waterfalls, two octarines blaze from your eyes. Your body is the rolling hills and gentle valleys of the chalk. Your soul, the wild and changing thrills of lanker storms and jagged rock. Though your disdain in day might vex me, in dreams you are XXXXY. Couldn't keep it That's, serious for three stanzas. That is amazing. Uh, so I, um, because we were talking last week that uh, Shakespeare's sonnet 130. Mm-hmm. The one about uh, if Snow be white, then her breast be done was yeah. kind of a piss take of the blazon thing. I have now written a piss take of that sonnet called Ode to a Chimera. Mm. My mistress's eyes are stubborn like a goat, and if I approach, I shall end up dead. Her tentacles do rip through fishes' boats, and hair like tortoise shells grows from her head. I have seen serpents' wings that do take flight, and sadly say her poisonous breath does reek. I love to hear her speak or screech and bite with her contradicting vicious chicken's teeth. A lion-faced lover is strange, I know, and her goatliness and mandibles eldritch sound. But I do so love to watch my mistress go, though tentacles and fishtail mean she moves not on the ground. Yet by hell I know I found a love so rare, though so horrific that approach I do not dare. That is fantastic, and goatliness is my new favourite word. I'm just really proud of myself for getting the word mandibles into a sonnet. Goatliness and mandibles. The new hot comedy pair. <laughs> Coming soon to a Netflix near you. <laughs> oh God. Do you want to tell us what happened previously on and then we'll, oh, uh, yeah. we'll dive into the book? Yeah, before we launch into the new bit. <clears throat> previously on Sorcery. Coin the sorcerer and his rather rigid father figure decide to take over the disc. Part of their plan, in the style of all good fascist dictators, is to burn some books. The last straw for Spelter, who warns the librarian at the cost of his own life. Meanwhile, Rincewind and Conina are delivered to a rich poet-slash-layabout and a gratifyingly grim Grand Vizier, who gets possessed by the Arch-Chancellor's hat, but not before throwing Rincewind in a pit with Nigel the Destroyer, a well-read and poorly-practiced barbarian warrior who's inexplicably attractive to Conina. The hat's tactics are revealed to our trio, who decide they want none of it. They bugger off to find an escape carpet before wizardry versus sorcery really ramps up. Under those conditions, a whole new world is not as appealing as it might sound. 
Disney fun. <laughs> Points for Aladdin reference. Not the best song in Aladdin. But One down yeah, the head fair. probably could have worked, but it's not as gratingly obvious. Yeah, no, A Whole New World definitely, uh, definitely makes that happen. Where are we? So in this section of mm, Sorcery, yes. the final section, uh, as wild magic wreaks havoc across Clatch, the lonely luggage is still wandering lost. Rincewind and the gang make it to the Seraph's treasury to find it ransacked. Creosote is rather unruffled by this. They head past a selection of hilarious booby traps to the secret te- treasury. As the roof takes off, the gang take flight on an upside-down carpet. The magic wizards start building their own tower, and Rincewind wallows in an impending sense of doom and gloom as the carpet takes the gang to the beach. A sleepwalking build- Rincewind tries to build his own tower, and the gang gets hit by a mild spell backwash. Luggage continues to wander through the magical maelstrom and makes it to the magic tower. Rincewind steals the carpet and flies to a city that's not quite the one he calls home and comes across a burned library. The gang convince the genie to, in, in the lamp to take them to Ankh-Morpork. Rincewind heads to the Tower of Art and discovers that the librarian has managed to mes- rescue the books, the patrician and waffles. The gang, after some metaphysical confusion, get dropped off at the pub and adopt a few interesting horses. At the Tower of Sorcery, Coin picks up Carding's concerns. Carding attacks a Breen, wearing the Archchancellor's hat from a distance, uh, as the luggage rages through the Magic Tower. All eventually implodes. The four horsepeople of the Apocalypse get slightly pissed. Uh, Carding realises Sorcery has made an avenue for the things from the Dungeon Dimensions, and the staff attacks him. Death refuses to let the other horsepeople ride Pillion after their horses go mysteriously missing. Coin decides to imprison the gods and Rincewind heads for the Tower of Sorcery with a half-brick in a sock. Rincewind fights Coin's staff and eventually Coin casts it away. Rincewind chooses to be brave and falls into the magical event horizon, leaving his hat behind. Conina, Nigel and Creosote witness the ice giants rising as Rincewind finds Coin in the dungeon dimensions. Death claims Ipslaw and back in Clatch, the luggage bursts out of a pile of rubble. Creosote buggers off in the face of danger. Coin escapes the dungeon dimensions. Rincewind doesn't, but the luggage succeeds in joining him. Coin releases the gods, taking down the ice giants. And Coin steps into his own world after reassuring Nigel and Conina. And finally, Creosote finds a lovely lady who knows many, many stories. That is a lot of happenings for 100 pages. It was a really long summary, but yeah, a lot happens in this book. Yeah, I can't really think of a way to summarise it more quickly, so... Uh, it's action-packed, satisfying end to a book, I'd say. It's got a lot of narrative satisfaction to it, this book. It does. The, and I like that it's not a 100% happy ending. Because obviously we're five books into the Discworld now and it's it's continuing on. So where the other ones have had fairly everything wrapped up in a neat little package at the end endings, apart from obviously Colour of Magic, which was literally a cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, it's now kind of a, okay, the series is continuing and I know it works coming back to the characters, so I can mm-hmm. leave it a bit open-ended because I know eventually I'll... Yeah. And actually it comes around again but pretty Rincewind soon. some more bollocks. <laughs> Bless Rincewind. Well, it's in- interesting times this next Rincewind, isn't it? Well, Eric. Oh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. So, helicopter slash loincloth watch. Uh, I'm going to say Nigel's still representing. Cool, cool. Uh, just, yeah, just a spiritual for... loincloth going on. Yes, he's definitely mentally loincloth wearing. Quotes. Quotes we like. Quote did he quote? Are you not are you not gonna try and count the magic carpet as a helicopter? I thought about it, but You could probably not. make a significant argument about pushing down to go up. 
I could if I understood more about how helicopters work. Okay, let's move swiftly past that. <laughs> but there's nothing whirring and going to LE12, so I'm, I'm not going to try All right. and use that top of the helicopter okay. watch. But we are going to try and use woolly underwear as a loincloth. Yeah. Okay. It's more, it's, you know, barbarian vibes. I appreciate your arbitrary but strongly held opinions on this. They change regularly. By the end of the episode, the magic carpet may in fact be a helicopter. Oh, good. All right, quotes, sorry. You, yeah. you there. Joanna, I know Fancy. you. Do you? We've met. <laughs> we have. <laughs> oh, I missed that. <laughs> uh, where are we? Speaking as a poet, said Kanina carefully, what would you say about this situation? Creosote shifted uneasily. Funny old thing, life, he said. Sums it up, yeah. So he might be a good poet if he allowed himself to use normal words. Yes, if everything wasn't jeweled melons of the butter come to forth. <laughs> so many jeweled melons. Which just it does it does raise interesting questions about the shape of some of these breasts, doesn't it? Not Be just shape, but the mental image of a melon like melons themselves aren't particularly glowing or shiny. They tend to be quite dull. And then if you stuck jewels on it, I mean just of all the things you could bedazzle. <laughs> it's just a round sparkly lump. I'm just saying that's not what I would want my breasts compared to. Hit trinket. All right, new lockdown business. Tip bedazzling. Yeah. Nothing else to do. <laughs> uh, my quote is nearer the end. It's right near the end. Um, Does it have tits in it? It doesn't. Sorry. Oh, for that scene. Well, I didn't know it was meant to be a theme. Uh, yeah. The librarian turned around slowly. He was entirely alone, except for the towering column of burning blackness and the steadily falling flakes. The ravaged campus was empty. There were a few other pointy hats that had been trampled by terrified feet, and no other sign that people had been there. All the wizards were wazards. Amazing. Wazards! <laughs> That's possibly my favourite quiet somber narrative tension going to terrible pun that we've had so far that's amazing i'm glad this could bring you so much joy uh, yeah that kind of moves smoothly ish onto the characters because the first one's rinse win yes i'm checking back in with characters we've met already first mm -hmm. uh where is the little line there's a i just really like this line i think it's such a good summary of rinse win's character uh-huh um Many people who had got to know Rincewind had come to treat him as a sort of two-legged miner's canary. All right, but you've got the general idea. <laughs> and tended to assume that Rincewind, if Rincewind was still upright and not actually running, then some hope remained. Yeah. Like, well, uh, too far, I said something similar, didn't he? It's like, this is the only thing I've not seen him scared of, so I assume everything's going to be all right. Yeah. But it's lovely because, you know, we were talking so much about how his sort of nihilism and acceptance of what the world is going to do to him yeah is quite lovable especially combined with his sort of ongoing determination to keep living yeah i must say we saw some some pretty intense character development from rincewind i bet that was one of the talking points we can come back to it later because i will ramble at a, length he does have a hell of a time in it in this one he does i'm so proud of him i love him um going on to creosote uh-huh he gets a big character shift mm -hmm. almost for the sake of plot. Like yeah. I, I, 
I get he's had a very stressful time and he's not used to sobriety and not being in his lovely palace and what have you. Yeah, my 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 feel was it was being put down to withdrawal. But <laughs> but he sort of goes from oh bejeweled melons and it'll all be alright and okay fine people have ransacked my treasury to whatever to every everything is wizard's fault and wizards are good at guessing you out of the sort of trouble that only wizards can get you into then they expect you to thank them. Yeah, I did that that quote did stand out to me as like the oh that is a complete shift in tone immediately. Yeah, and it feels like it was more that needed to happen in the plot for Rincewind to get pissed off to have his character development, but I, it felt yeah, like it's one of those... that it's not Conina who said it. Yeah, I would make... It, I feel like it would work better if it was Conina or even Nigel. Yeah, I think Nigel's a bit too nice. Like, he's got, he quite yeah. like Rincewind still, but... But to have the most easygoing character get that bitchy that quickly mm. for the sake of motivating Rincewind did feel a bit clunk. I suppose you could say it's like it shows that his niceness and laid backness was very dependent on him having everything, him having everything him. he needed. Yeah. <laughs> it's which, super easy to be laid back if everything is taken care of for you. Which would have been fine if we hadn't had him not minding his treasury getting blown up and not being that upset about that. Yeah. Do yeah. one or the other, not both. Mm-hmm. What did you think of uh, the happy ending for Nigel and Conina? uh it's neat it's neat it is a nice wrap-up i do like uh as they're facing off against the ice giants and they're sort of expecting to die and that this is the bit where they need to confess their love to each other obviously but it's quite sweet she said i think i should and added you know i thought maybe you know if we could just get to know one another better mr and mrs harrobert was that what you had in mind he said bluntly. Well, which one did you intend to be? He said. And I think it's... You liked that line, did you? I like it in that I think it's a nice acknowledgement like from Nigel that she's not really the settling down and marrying kind. And that while they are sort of confessing their love to each other in a bit as they face certain death against the ice giants, he's sort of quite calmly pointing out like, you're not really the... Yeah. Mrs. Harrobert married to a grocer type, are you? Yeah, that's true. But yes, Coin sort of erasing their memories and telling them, right, you're happy, you can wander off now is quite a nice little It's nice and it's neat. I think this is probably a good point for me to put in one of the little bits, actually. Uh, just the fact that the horse gets an ending. War's horse gets an ending. I just thought it was so nice that because I'm one of these people who's always like reading books or watching movies, like, all right, yeah, but like what happened to the what happened to the horse? Or what what happened to the I always want to know dog? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but they kindly found a livery stable for War's horse, which wisely decided not to fly again, was never claimed, and lived out the rest of its days as the carriage horse of an elderly lady. Oh, that's so nice nice? for the horse. Yeah. I'm glad the horse gets a nice and happy little ending. Mm. It's just very Pratchett-esque to go, actually, no, let's give give the horse a... He didn't just leave the horse standing in the street. (laughs) Yes. No one wants an extraneous horse at the end of their novel. Oh, no. <laughs> extraneous horse, excellent indie band name. Yes. With our new single, What the Fuck. <laughs> there was going to be more of a joke in that sentence, but I'm, my brain is mush. Fuck your Honda Civic, I have a horse outside. Fuck your Subaru, I have a horse outside. Can we get through a single episode without bursting into... No, we can't. Absolutely not. We get to meet this genie 
Which... Yuppie, yuppie genie. <laughs> yuppie genie. I love the genie. He's like the quintessential yuppie as well, because it's the right time period, isn't it? Late 80s? Yeah, so this is, yeah. 1988 is full yuppie, including mm. uh, him having, he's diversified out into a lot of lamps. A set of derelict lamps in the docks area of Ankh-Morpork that had great potential once the smart crowd got there to become the occult equivalent of a suite of offices and a wine bar, which is so yucky. <laughs> Full of mist, which is a piss take of the Philofax. Oh. Oh, right. That makes sense. Very yeah. good. Full of mist is a Philofax, which uh, I did check when this came out compared to when Neverwhere came out, because there's a line about uh, it there's a version that has the london underground with three stations they never dare show on public maps so oh, yeah. neverwhere didn't come out till 96 the genie definitely has something of crowley about him mm. the uh cool very cool on his phone not as uh, self-aware yeah it, it's a less self-aware Crowley. i feel like there's some of this became crowley because good omens was after this there are hints of it in there and he's sort of doing oh was the other really good line i liked about him he looked hurriedly at canina's angry face and contrived to suggest by waggling his eyebrows and waving his free hand urgently that he was currently and inconveniently tied up by irksome matters which regretfully prevented him giving her his full attention as of now but as soon as he had disentangled himself from this importunate person she could rest assured that her wish which was certainly a wish of tone and brilliance would be his command I just also love because uh, he's described as holding something curved yeah. and shiny to his ear. So I did have to look up what mobile phones looked oh, like in 1988. Did I did. They were the big blocky things. So horses. No, horse people. Horse people. The four horse people of the apocalypse. <laughs> Again, this is pretty good omen. So I like the fact that it's mm. almost like some ideas are getting worked out here that will develop. Which And they're very different. Um. So the four horse people are drinking. Uh, War has a Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. Pestilence has got a small eggnog with a cherry in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Death's on the port. Obviously, it is the same death as the usual. Yeah, very good. There. Death lied. A small port wine for him. And then, obviously, famine is just picking out. In the kitchen. Yeah. Excellent. Yes, so, they are a fun, fun little cameo, I think we can say. It's a nice little cameo. It's nice to see them in the pub. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the apocryphal apocalypse being the apocalypse. Mm. Yes, absolutely. I do also like when death rides off because obviously the rest of the horses have been nicked. Yeah. Um, they all sort of stop and have a little bitch of. Oh, when he gets on my nerves, why does he always get the last word? They get drunk, forget to go to the apocalypse, and when they realise that's what they're missing, they sort of go, oh, you know what? I reckon we're well out of it. It's relatable. It is relatable. Carding. Mm-hmm. This is one we've met before, mm-hmm. but we. Uh, so he eventually comes round to where Spelter got to. Yeah. So basically, he kills Abrim, and in a very dramatic way. Mm. Uh, and then realizes the massive portal to the Dungeon Dimensions is opening, and it kind of I don't know if hits him all at once or whether it's been building up or what. And just goes, oh fuck. This is yeah, terrible. All of this, this is terrible. And there's like a wide, mad smile and then goes to try and take the staff off the boy and then grabs it and just is a beautifully written bit of terror. And just, yeah, so Carding has a really cool turns a corner character-wise and then dies immediately. Yeah. That's what happened with Carding. Well done, Carding. Good Ditto Spelter, I guess. Well, no, Spelter had more of a sensible 
Yeah, he did at least try to sa- then, save the library first. Yeah, and then, and then died. <sighs> so locations. This yeah. is just a little mention. We don't go there, but um, obviously because all these wizards are buying, t- building towers and fighting with each other and mm-hmm. Quirm gets taken out. Mm-hmm. And we were speculating about Cherm and Quirm in uh, way back in Colour of Magic yeah. a long, long time ago. You see, Quirm, eventually we will actually get to visit Quirm as a city, but I do like the that it is mentioned and described as a pleasant little city overlooking the Rim Ocean. Yes. It's, very, it's Mediterranean France, I think, Quirm, isn't it? It's, yes, it's dr- very Geraniums South in the wall, as Carding remembers as he watches it get blown up. It had wild geraniums filling the sloping cobbled streets with their musky fragrance. God, I love the smell of geraniums. Pink. Miss geraniums. And then location-wise, honorary mention goes to the Tower of Art, which I think gets a more thorough, while at the same time incredibly vague history. And we now know it's older than the university and older than anybody knows and may have been there before the disc. But Rincewind doesn't like to think about that because that implies all kinds of things. Which I do like, just a little hint of extra eldritch in the background. Yeah, absolutely. It also reminded me a bit of, um, you've not read The Lies of Lotlamora, have you? I have not. Oh, you need to read it. I'm told you, I'm not reading anything more that you've recommended until people start finishing their fucking series. I know, but it's really good. Um, But Lies of Lotlamora, it's obviously a fantasy book in a fictional setting. But there are all these weird structures made out of stuff that the people living there just don't know what to do with this stuff called that they call elder glass uh-huh. and there's this whole thing of there was this there was another race or species that lived inhabited these lands before we did and we don't know what happened to them but it's way 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 before our history but all these ma- amazing ridiculous physics defying glass structures are all that's left of them cool and it's not a major plot point. It's just in the background of the books. Like, yeah, these weird structures exist and there was definitely a race here before us. I've decided to introduce my own ridiculous corner, Joanna. Yes. Um, called Irrelevant Elephant. Excellent. Anytime Pratchett randomly mentions an elephant, I won't do it for the, the four important elephants. I'm going to tell you an elephant fact. Because I Amazing. like elephants. <laughs> and apparently so did Pratchett. Uh this was going to be called a uh, pachyderm passage, but apparently that's now an obsolete order of mammals. Uh, oh. Which is a great title for our first album. Yes. That indie band, whatever. I've forgotten the name of it already now. Never mind. Uh, Extraneous Source. Well done. Extraneous Source and obsolete order of mammals. That's perfect. Yeah. Fuck yes. But yeah, that means elephants are now actually in an order of their own. Which oh. is proboscidea, which I can't pronounce, but it, you know, it's proboscis. But anyway, elephant fact. This is relevant because the the little pink elephants are nesting in this book. Oh, of course. Yeah, this is in the aftermath of the weird magic, obviously. Uh, elephants only sleep about two to four hours a day, African elephants in the wild. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's more like four to six in captivity. but And they only sleep properly, like going to dream state, every three to four days. I didn't know this, but apparently sm- the smaller the mammal, the more sleep it has generally, and the other way around. Oh. So bigger mammals sleep less, uh, which is just another part of the complete mystery that is sleep. Sleep is so weird. Sleep is weird as fuck. Well, scientists agree. Nine out of ten scientists <laughs> recommend go the fuck to sleep. But we don't know why. <laughs> I'm still so annoyed that after watching all of the extended Lord of the Rings in one day, Mm. I didn't have any ridiculously cool dreams. I just dreamt about eating strawberries outside. 
I was wearing a gingham dress in the dream. Oh, that's so nice. I know. It was so basic. It was literally just I'm outside in a gingham dress eating strawberries. Like, I, <laughs> there wasn't even Viggo Mortensen there feeding them. Where were me. you outside? I don't know. It was just like a random field. Nice. Were you with anyone? No. I was on my own eating strawberries in a gingham dress. That's really nice. It was, but like, I watched 12 hours of Lord of the Rings. Aragorn could have fucking fed me the strawberries. Yeah, your brain was probably like, you know what? No, you've had enough of this. <laughs> you can have something nice simple, wholesome, and without any sexual overtones for once. <laughs> Which is so weird for my subconscious. Mm. <laughs> no one even sexual undertones. No. I don't know. Eating strawberries is probably something there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. I'm sure that means I want to... I don't know. <laughs> Sleep so we'll add in, Joanna. Wow. <laughs> All right, no, no elephant checking. <laughs> um, yeah, right, sorry. Where are we? Um, when they're going into the secret treasury and there's a lamp, they talk about the fact that there's a lamp and a ring and Creosote says, oh, my grandfather built up the family fortunes with them. His wicked uncle locked him in a cave. He had to set himself up with what came to hand. He had nothing in the whole world but a magic carpet, a magic lamp, a magic ring, and a grosso full of assorted jewels. So yeah, really up the hard, hard way. way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but obviously last week I was talking about Shezerad and A Thousand One Nights, and mm-hmm. that was the framing. So I always assumed Aladdin was one of the Thousand and One Nights tales. Uh, but I looked it up, and apparently Aladdin wasn't actually part of the original Arabic text despite being one of the best-known stories from the collection. It was added by a Frenchman, Antoine Galland, mm. who acquired the tale from a Syrian Mananite storyteller, Hannah Daib. I see. Which I thought was quite I like the idea of acquiring a story. Yes. And then... That's a really in. nice way to phrase it. Yes, he acquired the story from a storyteller, and then when he did a translation of A Thousand One Nights, he added this story in. Cool. Which, as it's one of the most well-known ones, I thought was rather interesting. So that happened, obviously, years after the original Arabic text of it. But the whole thing about the lamp and the ring is closer to the original, because the original, the story's a bit more complex than the Disney version. And there's yeah, there's a Grand Vizier as well as an evil wizard. And yeah, there's a sorcerer and a Grand Vizier and... The sorcerer was meant to marry the princess, but because Aladdin doesn't said it's the sorcerer who pretends to be uh, someone exchanging new lamps for old, and it's all very messy. I like it though. Also, it was written as being set in China, but then the entire depiction of it is very Arabic. Not is very Arabic. So, sorry, I was, I was trying to think of the word Arabic, and it was like Arabianish. No, that's Arabi- <laughs> I mean, Arabian is better than Arabianish. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Aladdin, cool story. Not originally one of the Thousand One Nights. And also the origin story of Crusade's grandfather, which is nice. Great grandfather. Great grandfather, sorry. I believe. Um, which, But I like that it tied back into Crusade wanting to be told stories. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the whole, this whole section where they're getting the carpet Yeah. and the... I just I thought it was really cool as a visual and made me think about how well this particular book would work as a film mm-hmm. if it was done well and had a big budget. The idea of them standing in this underground treasury and the roof flies off and the blocks are all sort of flying up and away from them. Yeah. To go and build this tower. Yeah. Uh where's the actual passage? 
The wall beside him shook itself like a dog and drifted apart. I thought it was such a really perfect line. And I just thought this whole book really worked. Like, A, the story structure is well done with the way it builds up and then get, comes to this big climax. There's yeah. enough action in this final act. And then there's moments like that that you could just see on screen being this amazing visual. Yeah, Whoever did it would really need to ignore the temptation to try and split it into a couple of films so like i know fucking fantasy filmmakers love dragging things out into trilogies but this would be a one we don't talk about the hobbit films yeah yeah (laughs) the reason i think this would be a good film is because of that whole story and how well that would work in one film on screen yeah um yeah we don't talk about the hobbit films we don't talk about the hobbit films fucking hobbit films (laughs) we talk about how we don't talk about the hobbit films quite often yeah i really enjoyed re-watching lord of the rings though they held up really well because they use loads and loads and loads of practical effects as opposed to CGI. And practical effects hold up better over time than CGI does. CGI will always look dated five years from. That's why Jurassic Park still looks good. Mm-hmm. I love practical effects. This is completely irrelevant. I had a really much. good um, horrible science book, like the horrible history series, but horrible yeah, science yeah. about uh, practical effects. Ah, cool. When I was a kid. I wonder if that's still around anywhere. Because I reckon those books probably hold up pretty well as as an adult for like subjects you know fuck all about yeah no i think i've still got some of them somewhere it's probably a bit basic for you but for me it would be good yeah but yeah practical effects and prosthetics and puppetry i love puppetry like good puppetry like jim henson dark crystal-y type stuff yeah yo uh relevantly i just saw a tweet sorry i was trying to close twitter but uh dead famous greg jenner yeah fucking crossover with no such thing as a fish two of our favorite podcasts crossover Awesome. Which looks like it's going to be released a week tomorrow. I need to get Greg Jenner's new book, actually. What is it? The, the book's Dead Famous. The podcast he does is You're Dead to Me. Um, and it's about Oh, You're Dead to Me. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it's yeah, just he's yeah. got dead, dead famous in his Twitter name at the moment. Which makes, yes, that's... Yeah. <laughs> which is all about the history of celebrity culture. Oh. Which I'm very excited to read. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. Um... Oh yeah, another little bit I really liked is uh, when the luggage shows up at the tower and starts knocking on the door. There is a mantra to be said on these occasions. It doesn't matter if the door is a tent flap, a scrap of hide on a windblown yurt, three inches of solid oak with great iron nails in, or a rectangle of chipboard with mahogany veneer, a small light over it made of horrible bits of coloured glass and a bell push that plays a choice of 20 popular melodies that no music lover would want to listen to even after five years sensory deprivation. What's your tune again? Pizza's here. Yes, but it doesn't stop for minutes. Pizza, though. Yes, I do like I'm it. I'm very, very like Pavlovian, I must say. The amount of... Because t- generally no one came to the house unless it was takeaway. So. Yeah, you hear <laughs> that. You do think takeaway. In my case, takeaway or oh god, not another builder. But yes, the mantra stated in a mysterious uh, banging on a door is, "I wonder who that can be at this time of night." Yes, <laughs> something I've never actually said because the answer is always pizza. Yes. So yeah, onto the talking points. Good idea. Onto the talking points. I really like the discussion of how magic works. Oh yeah, tell me. Well, because I I said way back in Color of Magic, I like the fact that the magic sit. The, there aren't really strict rules around how the magic works and it changes book to book and it yeah, changes yeah, yeah. between witches and wizards as much as I also like books with really, really strict magic systems. You just but like I wanna... fantasy books, Joanna. 
Well, no, I want it to be one way or the other. I either want it to work like it does in, say, I don't know, the fits in the four books where, like, yeah, it has rules and it has systems and it has limitations. Mm-hmm. Or I want it to be like in this where it doesn't really have any rules and it changes book to book and consistency is overrated. Let's just have fun. Sure. Yeah. I don't like the in the middle thing of, say, like the Harry Potter books where it appears to have rules, but there's no actual logic to them. And if you poke it with a very blunt object, it falls apart. Yeah, for sure. And also, it's important that even if the rules are fairly arbitrary, that they are limiting. Yes. I think. So in this book, even though the sorcery power is kind of unlimited and weird, there is this hard border in that you can't just use, use and use and use magic because dungeon dimensions. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens in this book. Rincewind sort of saying, you think magic is something you can pick up and use like a parsnip wine bottle? <laughs> Use, like a parsnip. <laughs> that was nearly my favourite quote. It was very nearly mine, that's why I snuck it in here. <laughs> um, and Rincewind explains, magic uses people. It affects you as much as you affect it. You can't mess around things without things affecting you. It's like a wine bottle that drinks you back. And considering, yes. like, that's really early on in this section, and considering how the ending happens, I, mm. like, that's a bit of foreshadowing as well. Yeah, for sure. It is very good. Because and the structure of the wizarding orders. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a, another set of rules. It's probably not a direct reference, but it mentions in the book that the the kind of stuffy old structure of the Unseen University and the politics and the levels and the whatever's had kind of stopped the wizards from all this infighting, had stopped all this ridiculousness from happening because they were too consumed with that, which reminded me of Versailles. Uh, largely because I just listened to a You're Wrong About episode about Marie Antoinette. Ah. Spoilers. Misogyny. Uh, <laughs> no way. What? No way. Fuck. Uh, uh, but for once, not capitalism being a villain. Have you seen oh, kind of. uh, the Marie Antoinette movie with Kirsten Dunst playing her? I haven't, but I want to because apparently it's very realistic it's in that that's what Versailles was like. It's so good. It's one of my favourite films. Okay. It's um, Sophia Ford Coppola, I think, directed it. Yes. And yeah, that's the one. The, I my memory of watching watch. it for the first time is insanely weird, but go on. Such a good film. It was, oh God, do you remember, like, oh, I'm going to say like 10 years ago, I briefly, dated, <laughs> I briefly dated a very, very sweet boy. Yes. And it, like for a couple of weeks obviously I dumped him because he was really lovely and sweet yeah yeah he had good and told, told me he was in love with me after like a week which there yeah, you know how yeah. I feel about people loving me literally nauseous right that was one time anyway <laughs> and uh so we watched that movie while really hungover and he had the dvd but had never seen it and picked it up thinking like oh this will be like just cute and fluffy and we won't have to pay much attention to it and then i just ignored him for two hours instead at this film being really obsessed with kirsten dunce and the shoes and the hair and uh that was where we learned we may not be particularly compatible i don't really want to watch that now i want to watch that with you or we could do maybe one of those like house can... party yeah netflix party things yeah let's do that okay cool we'll try and work that out for like I don't know, whenever you, we're both free all the time, which somehow makes it harder to schedule things. It really <laughs> does. Like tonight, I'm kind of double booked because I've got to decide whether to watch whatever National Theatre Live is streaming on YouTube this week or Andrew O'Neill's like at-home comedy gig that he's live streaming. Oh God, we're so busy and important. I know. I mean, Andrew O'Neill's probably going to win because I love him. Yeah, that does sound pretty good. 
Where's, where do I go to see that? I will send you a link when this is over. Thanks. When all this is over. This damn war. A damn war. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get milk. Jam on your eyebrows. <laughs> gravy seams. Gravy seams instead of tights, Johanna. That's what we're reduced to. I've actually got tights, but I'm just painting gravy on my legs anyway. I've run out of gravy, Daniel. <laughs> the dog loves it. <laughs> So for oh I, <laughs> but I imagine painting gravy on Ron's legs was frowned upon. <laughs> so Louis the Fourteenth uh, turned what was a very grand hunting, grand hunting lodge into uh, Versailles, as we know and love it, a uh, massive palace. And he required that all nobles of a certain rank and above kind of lived there for a certain part of the year, and that was to basically stop any regional power from solidifying so they couldn't effectively run any kind of regional government when they were there all the time and it's because louis the 14th was trying to very much centralize the government he also imposed kind of a strict court etiquette and weird politics and kind of in encouraged these petty hierarchies and everything with the logic that being consumed by all of this these people aren't going to bother plotting against the king or whatever because they their lives are going to become all these petty gossips and it's like it's like upper school it's like high school yeah it is that is your life when you are part of it and it matters and when you're at work it matters if x person is a oh, yeah, like office politics yeah um which i must say my new job is bl- blissfully for me at least pre of i don't know if it goes on when i'm not paying attention but Oh, it's like, uh, I was joking way back in the soft open um, about the fact that I've been playing Dragon Age Inquisition a whole bunch, which is like a really rich, well-realised fantasy world, and one of the countries, Orlais, is based on that era of France. And yet you just spend your time trying to shag the elves. Not all, no, I was playing a grumpy elf. I didn't shag an elf this time, I shagged the beardy guy. Oh, good. Sorry. The point I was trying to make is that Orlais, which is based on like Versailles and that era of France in this game, mm-hmm. there is there are all these politics that you can choose to engage in however you want, which is ah, really fun. Cool. You can go in as a very noble human and really play the political game, or you can go in as a bitchy, sarcastic elf who's already treated like a second class citizen and just fuck shit up and it's great. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I found um I found a blog with a bunch of examples of the etiquette. Um my favourite isn't even that like out there like there's this whole stuff about uh, like you can knock on the king's door you have to scratch on it with a fingernail which is the whole thing but um, my favorite just because how it was worded on the blog and was a lady never held hands or linked arms with a gentleman it was in very bad taste and nearly impossible because a woman's skirts were so wide <laughs> marvelous circumference <laughs> i've been thinking about seeing if i can make a hoop skirt for uh, for social distancing while grocery shopping. Enforced social distancing. With hoop skirts, or at least some panniers. Now, how realistic would it be to sew some kind of blade onto one's hoop skirt in the style of a Buddhist chariot or a cockney gangster's hat? I feel like it's rather possible. Are you thinking sort of blades around the base rim? So uh, you can Yeah, so when you twirled, it would be very dangerous for everybody's shins. I feel like it would be incredibly possible that I wouldn't because I'd just end up cutting off my own feet. Mm. Or walking down the aisles at Waitrose and like splitting open bags of sugar as you went. <laughs> yes, great visual you... though. 
Please right, weave so when, this into your next creative fiction. I've been thinking about switching back to write. Actually, you know what? I'm going to write this down because I want to try and write some prose at some point, And this cool, is really cool. good. Yeah, no, do write some more prose because it's been ages since you wrote prose and your writing is like amazing now and I want to read your new prose. Yeah, because I've, I've been on the theatre stuff, but I'm kind of feeling really blocked uh, writing theatre. So I feel like maybe I need a little bit of time with some prose. Anyway, a little time alone um, with some prose, darling, and some strawberries and a gingham dress. Do you have a gingham dress? No, but I've got some gingham fabric to make a dress out of. Um, yeah, so Versailles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was Versailles. that. That's the end of Versailles. So the structure, the considerate revolted. Metaphorically, we have imprisoned Marie Antoinette for not a lot. Misogyny. Um, speaking of, this is a bit of a toxic masculinity thing, actually, I think, when this happens. And this is Rinse Wind. I didn't, I'm, I'm not making a feminist point. I'm just trying to link to what we were talking about. Okay, cool. Uh, purple segue. Segue, purple segue. Well, no, we were saying misogyny, but I'm talking about uh, when Rinse Wind gets very angry and storms off on a carpet and then <laughs> has that moment of calm afterwards where you realise maybe you shouldn't have got that angry. Mm, you say toxic masculinity. I'm pretty sure both of us do that. Oh yeah, no, okay. I was just trying to find a segue. This mm. isn't really a, this isn't really a guy thing. But yeah, I, I just really like that it gives time to talk about this feeling or you've um you rush out to have a go at a driver who's run into the back of you and then it turns out they're fucking huge or you're trying to have a mutiny and someone says, Yeah, you and what lads and you realise that you're standing there on your own. So yeah, so I really like that moment. Um and I like that the it goes into again the whole idea of wizards can never go home. Yeah, the that, like he's taking the piss of like that phrase in general, isn't it? Um, and then like wizards not being able to deal with metaphorical phrases. The phrase "you yeah. can never go home again." What do you think about that phrase? Because that's one I've actually never managed to really grasp. Well, it's like that you can't cross the same river twice. And the idea is that a place will never remain exactly the same and you will never re remain exactly the same. So the place right. you go back to, um, especially in this, because it sort of brings up thoughts of childhood homes and places you grew up and those places won't be the same when you go back to them. Sure. So I could go back to the house I lived in when I was five, but it's going to be different and I'm not going to see it through the same lens and it's going to be a disappointing thing. Yeah. Yeah, like I remember a really weird moment. Uh, so the street we used to live on, the house I grew up in, it's in this little village. And my sister's now husband lived across the road. They were like teen sweethearts. It was all sickening. Um, they are appallingly wholesome. They are. They're lovely people. I love them. I miss my sister and my nephew. So we moved out of that place when I was like a teenager. And obviously my sister's partner moved in with her and blah, blah, blah. But his parents still lived there for quite a while. And I remember someone's birthday party or something. They don't live there now, but they did still live there for a while. And it was the first time I had gone back to this street since I'd moved out of it. Yeah. And it was so surreal not pulling into the driveway we'd pull into, but going up and round and parking on the other side of the road mm. and seeing these old houses and seeing my old house and it, not being the house that it was yeah and it was it was just a very strange surreal feeling of oh this is not a coming home because this is not home hmm. 
Well, not quite as bad as getting back to the town you lived in and find it's now all white marble and terrifying raw magic. And fountains that actually work, which is <laughs> in Ankh-Morpork, where the river does economy, where the river doesn't so much run as gloop threateningly. <laughs> gloop. gloop, What a nice word, gloop. Augustus gloop. Uh, Roald Dahl is another man with the talent for uh, onomatopoeic-sounding names. Yeah, this is the problem I'm having with writing prose. I'm so bad at names. Even just naming characters. Oh, fucking tell you what. Write your prose. If you get stuck on a name, tell me. I love coming up with character names. and I haven't got the patience to write prose, so. Excellent. Okay, we'll team up. You can name the characters. I'll do everything else. Perfect. Having been playing a lot of Dragon Age, I feel like if I'm going to write fantasy, the protagonist is going to be a bitchy, sarcastic elf who is 100% done with this shit. Because why change the habits of a lifetime? I mean, we're talking about Rincewind. Rincewind's character development in general. Yeah, I just, oh, I fucking love Rincewind in this, and I kind of forgot that I would. I love him in a diff- on a different level than what I've been going on about, which is just, you know, I was going on about. I like the simplicity and integrity in his lack of integrity, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. But this one, just there were a couple of really touching moments and I didn't expect this book to give me a weepy moment. But like he's he's digging through the library like frantically, I assume looking for the librarian and he's sobbing and cutting his fingers on glass and everything. And like that is a level of care that I would not expect from him. Yeah, he's he's generally so very, very almost passive. Yeah, and like I would expect, if, if he had had no character development, one would expect him to see this and then just run away, going, well, whatever that was could get me. Um, yeah. But he goes through and tries to find his friend, and and that was very nice. And then just like the little moments of empathy that give him a very brief friendship with Coin. But when he's already hit, no, no, he hasn't, just before he hits the staff with the half brick in a sock. Which, by yeah. the way, best weapon ever. Um, Amazing. <laughs> so Ankh Uh It's because the staff says something to Coin, like, you know what happens to bad boys or whatever. And it starts hurting Coin, and Rincewind just goes, here, hang on a minute. Just in yeah. just that moment as well. I was like, oh, Rincewind, that's so nice. And then later on, down in the dungeon dimensions, and he, you know, then he does a more obvious helping Coin and making him escape and like to yeah, the point of doing the whole of doing the whole go back into the wild random pet here's a nasty thing to make you go yeah he literally kicks coin out of the dungeon dimensions which was the thing i was talking about where he makes this really noble sacrifice but he is still rinse wind enough to say could you tell them yeah can i please? i mean i, mean, I didn't no. want a statue necessarily but yeah. <laughs> you know just let the, people uh... know i wasn't a complete twit uh, <laughs> if, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? If a wizard sacrifices himself in the dungeon dimensions and no, there's no one to tell the tale, has he yeah. really had a noble sacrifice? Yeah. I also liked the kind of uh, dichotomy in their brief relationship, which is that while Rincewind is kind of the more worldly wise of the two, and say, you know, saying stuff like you have to remember, remember who you are don't let anyone else do that for you kind of thing and like kicking him out and defending him and everything at the same time he is possibly the least powerful wizard in the world while coin is the most powerful in the world and there's just this kind of backwards power imbalance balance which i like very much 
but we've also we talked about this in equal rights when you're in the dungeon dimensions it's a bad idea to use magic because that's how they get you ah yes but also we've been talking about going through anxiety and coming out the other side and the whole idea of nerd going through sprite and coming out the other side it's almost like Rincewind is the other side of power, which is uh, hmm. like with Esk and Simon, he's powerful enough to know when not to use magic and to use a half brick in a sock instead. Yeah, but just which because in a way, he can't. <laughs> yeah. But in a way, it almost makes him a much more powerful wizard. Yeah, because he's not going in there with like, if he was a bit better, he might have gone in there with a shitty fireball and been immediately mm. killed. As he is just incapable of any kind of magic, he went in with a half brick in a sock and did quite well, thank you. If you had a statue built of you, what kind of, or when I should say, what kind of yeah. pose are you going to be in? I like the very noble one foot up on something. Uh, you're going to dramatic read. In the... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. Shakespearean wanker then. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Classic. I mean, my plan for after I pass away is to be taxidermied and turned into a hat stand. So. Yes, yeah. But obviously that, feel... we'll need a bigger gold statue somewhere as well. Oh, so no, that gold. the public That's can tacky. appreciate. Is White it? marble. Yeah, okay. no marble. Okay. That seems fair. Going a bit Aussie Um Look, I would not like. Mighty in despair. Mm, quite. Uh, I don't think I would like a statue. I don't think. That what about would a flattering me? A large flattering portrait of you and Dia. Mm, no, I think a plaque. Oh, a plaque. A tasteful plaque somewhere really impractical is what I've always wanted. Or a bench, like a bench dedicated to me, but like stuck halfway off a cliff so that an ab sailor goes past it one day and it's like, and the plaque says something like, oh, to dear Francine who loved to sit here and admire the view. And the ab sailor's like, what? That's what I want. Oh, Impractical bench plaque. This is the only time I've ever hoped I will outlive you and that is so I can make the arrangements for your bench. Or we can just do it before you die. Much obliged. Well, now it's on record, so if... If any of our listeners remember this and hear of my death, please sort that out for me. Did you have any other thoughts on Rincewind's character development before we are around the bend towards the end of the show, Francine? No, let's go around the bend. Do you have an obscure reference finial for us? I do, which Yay. I'd like to say in my new, uh, my new, my, my show notes, my show notes, my notes, um, is nowadays abbreviated to ORF which I thought you might find Beautiful. pleasing. So my off comes from when the Four Horsemen people of the apocalypse are in the pub and are already drunk and are trying to sing. And they are talking about a farm animal they can't quite remember. And so it goes, we're poor little sheep. I'm sure it's sheep. No, it's not sheep. It's it's a heifer or something like that. Um, just poor little unidentified domestic animal is what they settle on um what it actually is they were quite close it's poor little lambs is the correct lyric how marvelous um and it is a drinking song but as far as i can tell it comes from america it is the whiff and poof song oh, or whiff from... and poof i'm not sure from, from yells Yale. yeah from yells acapella group which is called the whiff and poofs i know that because how do you pronounce it the Whiff and Poofs. Whiff and Poofs, thanks. Um, uh, which I'm guessing doesn't have quite the same weird connotation as it does here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the song itself was adapted from Rudyard Kipling's Gentleman Rankers. Oh, was uh, it? Yeah, it's a poem, um, which itself is a term for a posh chap who ends up as a squatty, usually because they're disgraced and they go and enlist. Uh, uh, 
But I found a little British recording of it, as I imagine that's how Pratchett would have imagined uh, or heard it. Ima- yes, would have heard it. And it goes, We're poor little lambs who have lost our way. Ba, ba, ba. You need a bass here, really. We're little black sheep who've gone astray. Ba, ba, ba. So you just need to imagine a bunch of fucking posh Americans trying to sound all mournful and cute. And then it's infuriating. But I'll link the nice Cornish pub and then it's fun. I have heard it. And that, like I said, is entirely because of the Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Yes. I remember uh, Rory's grandfather singing it. Oh, yes. Uh, at the Harvard-Yale game, I believe. Fuck, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so it's like a uh, very posh song in origin, but it appears it's to have been nicked by British some British drinkers, which was nice. <laughs> that fills me with joy. Yeah, it's pleasing. So, yeah, that's yeah, all that's... I have to say about everything. Well, I think that brings us to the end of Sorcery, which has been a particularly lovely book. It has. I've enjoyed it very much. I have. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to take a week off now, unless we get bored and decide to record some bonus content. Because yeah, might need to be honest, I kind of need this weekly socialization right now. So. <laughs> well, it's up to you. We can either just go on Zoom and chat, or we can go on Zoom and chat and record it. Okay, entirely well, we'll up to you. Um, see what we feel like. Before we uh, abandon you for the week, dear listener, I meant to mention this last week and totally forgot. I did have a little holiday from the disc this week and popped over to Westeros. So if you want to hear me talk about Game of Thrones, I guested on the Game of Groans podcast, which is a really fun podcast. Emily, the host, is working through all of Game of Thrones, having somehow never seen it or been spoiled for it. Yeah, weird. Uh, So yeah, so we'll link to that in the show notes. And if you want to hear me talk about uh, Game of Thrones rather than Discworld, I do manage to talk about other things than just my overwhelming love for Natalie Dormer, but it does feature heavily because I have an overwhelming love for Natalie Dormer. You do have an overwhelming love for Natalie Dormer, and you can find it, dear listeners, at uh, gameofgrownspod.com. Excellent. But like I said, we'll link in the show notes. Yeah, as well. yeah, proper, noted, proper link in the show notes. And it's so, very good. I listen to quite a lot of it, even though I have not seen any of the show and do not intend to. Excellent. And you but I will explain well, it all to you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we recorded quite uh, late at night because of the time difference between me and Emily, the host. So I forgot a lot of what I said by the end of it. I was quite sleepy. <laughs> Slash full of coffee. Anyway, thank you for listening to The Truth Shall Make You Fret. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at The Truth Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at The Truth Shall Make You Fret. And you can email us your thoughts, queries, castles, snacks and albatrosses at uh, the tree shall make you fret pod at gmail.com and please do actually dear listeners do email us email us some questions email us some thoughts i want to read out some things and feel like a real podcaster and do that because we're all very starved of any kind of interaction right now reach out yes. metaphorically don't real don't reach out physically because that's very dangerous like yeah social distancing virus. listenings the virus the pandemic yes email us and we might do a little mailbag or something mm. that'd be fun And in the meantime, dear listener, I would like to leave you with the end of the book. That there would be a morning. There would always be another morning. Oh, mate.
I need to watch that movie. Kirsten Dunst is a treasure. Is she in anything recently? Uh, I don't know. I rewatched Bring It On for the first time in ages, so that was fun. I, I still remember all the words to the opening cheer, so that's something I'm proud of. Oh, go on. I'm sexy. I'm cute. I'm popular to boot. I'm bitching. Great hair. The boys all love to stare. I'm wanted. I'm hot. I'm everything you're not. And then, yeah, it goes on. I'm not doing the whole thing. Okay. No, I'm pretty. I'm cool. We dominate this school. Who am I? Just guess. I want to, guys want to touch my chest. Oh, cute. Yeah. Which I didn't realise the timeline, because obviously Eliza Dishku's in that, who played Faith in Buffy. Mm. And Claire You Kramer. got Buffy in right at the end. 